can be an enticement to every heart and soul there is that you chose to participate in this day. Father God, let us be the children that you use today to let them know that we serve a mighty God, a mighty God that, hey, sits high and look low, take care of us in our good times, in our worst times. Oh, Father God, thank you for being so good. And Father God, as we travel in this day, Father God, we ask you to look in on all the sick and shut-ins, Father God, that, hey, that somehow, some way they can hear about your healing power, your goodness, Father God, your tender mercies, Father God, that, hey, they would just bow down and begin to just pray, pray, for, hey, to you, Father God, for everything that they need. And Father God, hey, we have situations that, hey, we find it's kind of hard to understand, but we know as long as we lean and depend and trust in you, everything is going to be all right. And Father God, give us the, hey, the ability to, hey, to entice hearts to believe this also, Father God, to, to, to know the truth, to know that, hey, you can do anything, anything but fail. And Father God, I am a living witness to this, Father God. I have seen times when, hey, I, I didn't think I was going to make it. And I, I'm pretty sure there's a, a, others in this house, Father God, that seen time that they didn't think they was going to make it. But they knew that, hey, that love and trust that they have in you was sufficient. Sufficient enough to, hey, to press on, to go on, to know that, hey, that, hey, if there is a will, there is a way. Father God, and we all have seen it manifest some way or another. And Father God... We can truthfully tell the world that we serve a good God. So today, Father God, we ask you to, hey, to bless the angel of this house that's going to bring us this word, that we take this word digested, Father God, and ooh, take it out into the world and let the world know yes. that we serve a God. A God that's real, a God that's truthful, a God that hates, take care of each and every one of our needs. And Father God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our first lady and his family for being the children that you are using in this world to help souls and peoples like us who believe, who believe, Lord, and is faithful. So, Father God, 
We ask you to touch him as he brings us the word so that we might embed it in our heart and use it in our life. For it's all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Redeemer. Oh, thank you, God. Amen. Hallelujah, I will sing, oh Lord, I will sing, hallelujah, oh Lord, for you are the source of my supply, Lord, I praise and I lift you high, I will sing, hallelujah, Oh Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh Lord. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, hallelujah. If you haven't had your opportunity to give at this time, hallelujah, we're still in a frame of worship and a part of worship. You can take this time throughout the service to give unto the Lord in your tithes and your offerings, hallelujah. Oh, continue to sing and praise the Lord as they come from everywhere, hallelujah, hallelujah. I will sing, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I will sing, hallelujah, I will sing, oh, Lord, I will sing, hallelujah, oh, Lord, you are the source of my supply, Lord, I praise and lift. You high, I will sing hallelujah, oh Lord. One more time. I will sing hallelujah, I will sing, oh Lord. I will sing hallelujah, oh Lord. You are the source. your hands as we pray for the offering in the basket. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for this offering and the tithes that was taken up for the purpose that it was taken up for, Lord God. We ask that, Lord God, that you would bless those that had to give, Lord God, and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, and we thank you by faith, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that it'll meet the needs, Lord God, for which you have set forth in this house. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we thank you. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will sing. Hallelujah. Oh, Hallelujah, there's something. Come by here. Come by here, my Lord. Come by here. Come by here, my Lord. Come by here. Oh, Lord. Come by here. Come by here, my Lord. Come by here. Come by here. something that was on my heart and my mind, just a little piece of it that we'd like to sing for you this morning. <clears throat> this house is holy, this house is anointed, the spirit is moving right where you stand, so when you enter Come in with thanksgiving and humble yourself 
and he will heal your land. This house is holy. This house is anointed. The spirit is moving right where you stand. So when you enter, come in with thanksgiving and humble yourself and he will heal your land. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Put your hands together and bless the Lord. For certainly he's in this house today and he will heal your land. And although this is connected unto you, he will, he, he will do just what he said he would do. He will heal your land. Put your hands together as the angel of this house comes forth to feed us the word, the bread of heaven, till we want no more in this place. Hallelujah. Bishop Roy J. Lysad. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just celebrate the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord is worthy of the praises of his people, is he not? Hallelujah. You may be seated. Truly, we give honor to God. And we thank the Lord for each and every one of you that's found your way here into the household of faith today. There's a lot going on. A lot of people in, in this ministry seem to be under attack. Seems like the enemy is doing everything he can to break our confidence. Hallelujah. But we cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. We may weeble and wobble every once in a while. Jocelyn, that was a toy when I was a little kid. You have, okay. Hallelujah. We may weeble and wobble every once in a while, but we will not stay down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just thank God for, again, each and every one of you. We salute those that have tuned in um, via technology, uh, our West Coast campus. We thank God for them. Uh, our East Coast campus, we thank God for them. Hallelujah. 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 Please know that we are still praying uh, for Aisha. I'm waiting for a report. Um, that, that is one of the West Coast members' family's uh, daughter. And she's, she was in the hospital yesterday, and we are believing God for her. Amen? Amen. Is God able? Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. So we're believing God, and I'm, I'm expecting a report. So, Jerry, if you're listening, I'm expecting a report today that everything is A-OK. Hallelujah. Um, we want to get into the Word of God, and uh, we want to continue where we had left off last week. Uh, again, uh, it seems like there's a lot going on, and it seems like uh, the enemy is throwing anything and everything he can at us, sickness and um, infection in the body, and uh, there are several uh, members here in the church that are actually in the hospital right now, and we are believing God for them because we know that our Lord, Yehovah Rapha, is a healer. Hallelujah. And he shall keep us. Hallelujah. For it is he that created us and knows us best. Hallelujah. I heard a preacher once say that when Jesus came to people throughout his journey, he would heal them. And they would get healed. 
and they would be able to testify oh, yes. of their healing. Yes. But there was a woman that sought him out. Yes. And the Bible says that she was made whole. Amen. Hallelujah. So while some people just get a healing, if you seek Jesus out, if you seek Jesus out, he'll make you whole. And I'm believing for us in the seeking of Christ that we will be made whole by the power of Christ. Hallelujah. But we left off talking about how important God's name is and how the names of the Lord uh, communicate his preeminence over every crisis that we will ever face. And arguably, there are many crises going on right now uh, it, just in this assembly of God's people. We know that LaRonda is, is away because uh, the death angel is invading her family. We know Deacon Trent is in the hospital because infection is invading him. We know that my son Noah is in the hospital because of an accident that he was in. And so many other things that are going on. Jerry's daughter, Aisha, is in the hospital because of what's going on in her body. But we have a connection with God. And to understand God, he shares with us his name. Because his name points to his characteristic. Yes, sir. So the, the foundation of, of this series that we're talking about is Isaiah, the 52nd chapter in the 6th verse. And it simply says, therefore, my people shall know my name. Yes. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. We get all worked up and in a tizzy, and we forget that God has shared with us who he is. So that in that day, when he speaks, when he speaks, you will know it is he. Now, who speaks for the Lord now? We do. Because the spirit of God liveth in you. And the life we live, we live now by the power of the indwelling presence of God in us. So when we speak, which is why it's so important that we have to be careful about what we speak. When we speak, it goes out and performs the very thing whereto we've sent it. Because it is not I that speaks, but Christ that speaks through me. In the business world, you'll find that the name of a company is often used to identify something very special, not only about the product that the company sells, but the characteristics or the values and even the excellence of the company itself. Most people that know me know that I'm a big Apple fan. I really love Apple devices. I think that Apple is at the leading edge of technology. And when you say Apple, What comes to mind or should come to mind in in many is the idea of innovation, the idea of speed, of quality, an idea that when you declare Apple or you're holding an Apple device, you're seeing the best that can be made. 
fastest processors, best quality, best support system behind the product. Now, I said arguably, so all you, you know, Samsung fans, don't get offended. Hallelujah. It's okay. It's okay. Somebody's got to get a Samsung. But if I was to say to you, Nike, or Nike, you would associate it in your mind with the slogan, just do it. With the idea that you are what? Unstoppable. The core of just do it means that there is nothing for which you are incapable to handle. The only thing that stops you is you. So the idea behind Nike is don't stop yourself, just do it. This idea behind the name is to convince you that the product is worth investing in. And I want us to go on a journey of exploration of the names of God so that we can learn why it is the best thing for you and I to invest in. The returns on our investment will become unmatched. Understanding what's in a name and the importance of names is critical to laying the foundation for identification with the very name that you are trying to associate with. I cannot understand my identity if I do not understand his identity. I cannot declare to you that I am the identity of Christ if I do not know what the identity of Christ is. The words become empty and powerless because they have no substance behind them. Context becomes everything when I declare who I am. You see, to the novice, this idea of what we call name branding involves designing fancy logos or choosing taglines or determining what colors you'll put on your website or your printed material. But to the expert, your brand is much more than just that. You see, the greatest logo, the catchiest tagline, and even the most brilliant of colors will do little to augment the value of a brand if the product lacks authenticity. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor it's time for you to be authentic. My cousin has a, a modicum that she uses quite often, Elder Loretta Shouse, and she says authentic oil. What she's talking about is being real. You see, your brand is your identity, and your identity becomes your reputation and the perception that others will entertain when they think about you. So when people refer to the Apple brand, they're not talking about the symbol of an apple with a bite taken out of it. They're talking about what the Apple company stands for. High quality, creativeness, efficiency, and cutting edge technology in all the things that it creates. The primary focus for any branding campaign ought to be organizational strength, identity, and at its core, messaging. You see, the best designed, most catchy logo can't do much without the strength of a product and the power of an organization behind it. There's a book 
It's a best-selling book that was written by David Alessandro, who's the CEO of John Hancock, about brand warfare. And he says this, by definition, brand is whatever the consumer thinks of when he or she hears your company's name. Thanks to the information revolution, whatever now includes labor practices, quality controls, environmental record, customer service, and every rumor that wings its way around the internet. You see, your brand or your name involves the way people perceive you, how they see your leadership, how they see your organization, your service, your methods, and anything else that is related to how you came about, how you even function, or what you do. It goes much further than just a logo convincing the head, but it is something that touches the heart, which engages the hands. You see, a brand is the creation and implementation of an organizational worldview that produces a consistent atmosphere for everyone who comes into contact with your name. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, say my name. You see, names matter. Names matter. It matters so much that men, women, and companies will trademark their names. They register them to prevent any unauthorized use of them. They don't want other people to mess with their name, giving an illegitimate meaning to their brand. Let me give you an example. In the global world of social networking, people will sometimes steal someone else's name in order to prosper from the integrity that's associated with the name that they have stolen. They try to capitalize on what that name means to people so they gain from it, but they are not meant to profit from the name of another of whom they are not a part or authorized to use. You look at Facebook. Facebook right now is undergoing a rebranding or a renaming. And behind that, when you listen to Zuckerberg speak about this meta idea, it's not just the changing of a company name, but it is a distancing from what Facebook has uh, become accused of representing to something totally different. The platform will be basically the same, but now when you see meta, you don't associate with meta the things you associate with Facebook. As we get to know God through our discovery of his name that he has declared in scripture, you will find that he has branded his name. You see, his name is not just a word. There's substance that lies behind each of his names because it is the substance that matters. A name without substance is just an empty thing. But a name that is filled with substance is a name upon which you can stand. 
People may try to hijack God's name for all manner of self-serving endeavors, but God's name is spiritually trademarked so that no one can illegitimately access the power and the authority that is tied to it. This is why some of us fail when we try to apply the name of God to something for which we have not been authorized to do. You see, God's name matters. Attached to each one is a set of character qualities, promises, and meanings. Unless you fully know and understand these things, you run the risk of not accessing or utilizing them in the way God has designed. You're in a need of healing, and you're declaring Jehovah Yireh. Jehovah Yireh is a name that identifies provision. When you should be declaring Jehovah Rapha, a name that identifies healing. And then you're frustrated because you declared the wrong name because you have illegitimate contact with a name for which you do not understand its substance. When I started this series, I identified the importance and the majesty of God's names. Today, I want to introduce to you the very first name that God reveals to us in Scripture. And it's important when God declares something first, when this is the first thing that he says about himself, what he's saying, pay attention. Shake your neighbor and tell your neighbor, pay attention. Don't be afraid. They won't touch you. Pay attention. The first name that God declares is Elohim. This name is found in Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. And we discover the very first name of our God in the very first verse of the very first word that he declares to creation. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. You see, that one line at the beginning of time reveals a deep character quality of God and that he is creator. He is not a creator. You are a creator. He is creator. And this reveals a deep character quality of who he is. It's God's introduction. It's his prelude to creation. It's the first impression of himself that he offers to his creation. In essence, God is declaring, hello, I am Elohim. In other words, you exist because I am. Hello to that which I have made. No, it is I that has made you and not you yourself. You see, the first impressions are often the lasting impressions. So why does God choose to introduce himself to us as Elohim, as creator? One of the primary reasons could be that he wants us to recognize that he is transcendent. In other words, God, creator, is distinct from his creation. You see, God isn't a part of what he has created. He is distinct from what he has created. And because he is distinct from 
what he has created. He is not limited by his creation. God isn't a part of it. He is something much greater than it. You see, God is not a tree. He's not a river. And he's not a butterfly. Rather than being part of his creation, God is above and outside and surrounds his creation. Another reason that God introduces himself to us with his name of Elohim is that it lets us know that he is set apart from the constraints of time. You see, when we read in the beginning God created, we can discern that God created even the beginning. And if God created the beginning, then God had to be before the beginning. Thus, God created time. And if God created time, then God precedes time because he couldn't have created something that already existed. If time didn't begin until he created it, then he must have been present when there was no time. If God was present before time and God creates time, then he has the power to manipulate and control time. He is never confined or defined by time. This is why God is always on time. You see, when you or I discuss the concept of time linearly, we can't fit God inside it because God exists outside of time. The only thing that we're aware of is outside of time is eternity itself. So God is not limited by time, but lives in eternity where there is no time. Time is thereby a constraint with which we must contend, but it is not a shackle for God. This is why the Bible uses the language of eternity when it refers to God, Elohim. In addition to this, Scripture also refers to God in the present tense. You see, you and I, we have a yesterday. And by the grace of God, we have a tomorrow. We have these things because we're subject to time. Yet God has neither a yesterday, nor does he have a tomorrow. You see, everything for God is right now because he has no past and he has no future. He is the right now, ever present in all of time itself. Everything in God is occurring in God right now, which is why he is, I am. And because he is, I am, I can. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, because of I am, I can. You see, when we get to heaven, we'll better understand what it means to be with a right now God. We talk about it here in the earth. We sing songs about it here in the earth, and we declare that he is a right now God while not really fully grasping what a right now God really is. We will experience what it is like to have no night, 
no measuring clock for the day, and no passage of seconds, minutes, or even hours. We'll know life without an aging process. All things will be now, whether they are simultaneous or a billion years apart, everything will forever be right now. Don't even try to wear yourself out thinking too hard about this. The bottom line is simply that Elohim, the strong creator God, is transcendent of time. That's why when it looks like you're running out of time, God can step in time to deliver you in the nick of time. When for God it wasn't a nick. You see, Elohim is here, he is there, he is everywhere. Elohim transcends not only time, but also space. In other words, he predates his creation. He comes before the things that he has made, both the heavens and the earth. That's what we call merism, two contrasting words that describe an entire thing, heaven and earth. Stand for all of creation. Before God created mankind, he created a location. A space in which mankind, his creation, would exist. In order for God to create this space, he had to sit outside of that space itself. You and I know and experience only the heavens and the earth We don't comprehend anything beyond the heavens and the earth because we exist in the space for which God has created. Yet God exists when space did not exist. Therefore, God transcends not only time, but also space and matter. You see, everything that we see is tied to matter. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor it matters. You see, matter is the substance of everything that we have. Matter refers to the physical components of the universe. Put your hand on your your neighbor's shoulder. Tell your neighbor, you matter because you're matter. You see, matter refers to the physical components of the universe. You see, in order for God to be outside of time, space, and matter, he has to exist in another dimension that isn't tethered to time, space, and matter the way our existence is tethered to time, space, and matter. If God isn't tethered to time, space, and matter, then he operates in an entirely different realm, which is precisely why you and I can't figure him out. We're not from his realm. We're not from his dimension. We can't conceive of all, the, of all that his dimension contains. We're like a gear on a watch trying to comprehend the events that go on around it rather than simply measuring the time for which it was created to track. We're looking at his dimension from the perspective of our dimension. And this is challenging because we don't even have the slightest clue about his dimension. We have no foundation for which to build a hypothesis of what his dimension is like. 
We do not have a comparison nor a foundation upon which to build a theology to declare who he is. Therefore, we can't comprehend even a portion of God's dimension unless God explains it to us. When you study the theologians, you'll find that many refer to Elohim as the holy other which can be defined as something that we are not aware of. But as we take a closer look at the names of God constructed from the root word Elohim, we will find the names reveal God who also abides in the realm that we know. The prophet Jeremiah offers us a glimpse into this delicate balance of the presence of God. Jeremiah says in 23, 23 through 24, am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? You see, When you read this passage in Jeremiah, it reveals that God is both transcendent and imminent. He is here. He is there. He is everywhere all at the same time. Elohim created the very heaven and earth, and he sits outside of it, yet Elohim also fills his creation existing in it in all places. He is eminently everywhere at the same time. The theological word used to describe this idea about God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, present at the same time. Some of us got parents like that. It seemed like no matter what, they were always right there. You thought you was getting away? You thought you was working in the cover of night, and blip, there was mom or dad watching you going, yeah, I see you. You know how we used to do? You get fussed out, and as soon as they turn to walk away, nope, they ain't talking to me. And then as they're walking away, they say, straighten up your face, boo-boo. You're like, you saw me? I got eyes in the back of my head. This is kind of an idea. It's kind of an idea. It's kind of a glimpse into the capacity that is the omnipresence of God. And when you begin to think about the omnipresence of God, that he fills everything at the same time, you begin to realize that you cannot be anywhere doing anything for which God is not present with. Yep. You know, oftentimes we say, well, if Jesus was here, I probably wouldn't have said that. If Jesus was here, I probably wouldn't have been there. You know, if he was right here. Don't fool yourself. He was. He is. He will always be right here. Wherever here is for you, that's where Jesus is. 
Everywhere you are, he is. Everywhere you're going, he is. Everywhere you've come from, he is. There is absolutely no place you can find yourself that he isn't. After church, I'm going to the hospital to spend time with my son. And Jesus is going to meet me there because he is right there waiting for me to arrive while at the same time he's in the car with me on the drive there and at the same time he is right here standing at my side as I declare the truth about his wisdom and love for mankind. He is right here and he's still in my house and he's still in my garage and he's still everywhere that I'm going to be because God is omnipresent. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. The best way I know to illustrate God's omnipresence is with air. Air you can't see, but you will know if it's not there. Air exists everywhere. Wherever you go, you will be in the atmosphere simply because the atmosphere encompasses all of our planet. And God is like the atmosphere. His atmospheric presence exists Everywhere in the earth, he is like it is an attempt to try to quantify what it is to be omnipresent. It is like the air, but God is so much more than the air. Yet because of his transcendence, he's not limited to the earth. And that's where the illustration between air and God breaks down because when you leave the earth's gravity, you leave the air. Yet when you leave God's omnipresence on earth, he is also there in the transcendent existence that sits outside of the earth. In fact, another name of God, which I won't have time to cover fully in today's uh, discussion, tells us of this presence. It is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. You see, he is here, yet he is also there. God is both there and back again at the same time. His silence doesn't indicate an absence because he is everywhere at all times, nor does his distance belie his presence. You see, Jehovah Shammah also refers to the city of Jerusalem as a type of the gospel church. You can read about this in Ezekiel, the 48th chapter in the 35th verse, it's where he manifests his presence in the midst of his people. Who is his church? If we are his church, then we are the manifested presence of God in creation. With all of this talk about God being here, there, and everywhere, we might be tempted to think of him as an energy source, as just some power. Yet the name Elohim doesn't mean anything connected to just existent energy. You see, scientists will tell you that the body is made up of energy, and when it dies, when the body dies, the energy still exists and goes. 
This is what gives fuel to ideas like reincarnation, the energy that makes up your existence because it's never destroyed, it goes and becomes something else. This is the idea behind that type of foolish thinking. The Bible would never say, may the force be with you. In fact, as we continue looking in Genesis 1, we see his name Elohim associated with some very personal attributes. It says this, then God Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. When you analyze the text and you look at the way in which it was written, you will see God said, God saw, God separated, and God called. You see, each of these actions clearly reveals a very personal and engaging character of God. God likes to be involved in your stuff. You see, he's not merely a spirit that's floating around in Never Never Land. He, he is other dimensional, and we shouldn't lose that emphasis, but he is also intensely personal. He's not distant. He is intimate. If we were to skim a few chapters forward in the book of Genesis' account, we would discover him walking in the garden in the cool of the day and calling out to Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 and 9. So if we refer to God as just simply energy, a concept, a force, a theory, we're not referring to the true Elohim. Because as Elohim, God personally interacts with his creation. In other words, you and I do not live in a vacuum. We do not live in an impersonal universe. We don't reside in a universe with no one to relate to who is above and beyond as yet also still with us. Many people who purport the theory of evolution believe that the universe has no supreme being or God with whom they can relate. We interact with nature or with unseen, unidentifiable forces, yet our universe is personal because Elohim is personal. And he fills his creation. Elohim is not only personal, but Elohim is also plural. You see, the word Elohim is actually the plural version of the word El. An interesting aspect of this plural word is that it uniquely refers to a singular Godhead. It is a plural word that identifies something that is singular. In Genesis 1, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the uh, image of God, he created him. You see, Scripture uses both plural 
and singular pronouns when it refers to God Elohim. His works are usually described with singular verb forms, so Elohim is a plural word by construct, but often a singular word by usage, revealing an immutable makeup of the triunity that is God. God is a plural being, but exists as one God. God sometimes introduces a concept in the Bible, and then he explains it later. We call this progressive revelation. And in this case, we find the plural form of Elohim in Genesis without more clues about the triunity that it represents. We just know that Elohim refers to more than one. And as revelation, revelation rather, Progresses, God explains the triunity more fully so that by the time we reach the New Testament, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In this passage of revelation in God's Word, we finally see three distinct persons, but in one essence, who make up the plural name Elohim. It's different. Difficult for us to comprehend how three can be one. We struggle to fully comprehend this. We have theological arguments and we are divided on this matter. There are some who see God as three distinct and separate beings, but we believe all three of those distinctive parts are not separate from the whole, but they make up the whole. And we are reflected in that very image with the three parts of us, body, soul, and spirit, which we are made up of to be a representation that when God made us, He made us in his image, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We were made in that image, body, soul, and spirit that we might reflect him in all of creation. God identifies himself as Elohim 35 times at the start of Scripture. In fact... Let me give you Bible trivia. Elohim is the only name used for God from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3. Other names come later in his personal revelation of his character throughout his word, but Elohim is emphasized in the beginning. And I believe that one reason for this focus on this particular name of God is that from the outset, he wants us to understand the fullness of his power. You see, the literal translation of the name Elohim is strong one. It has to do with God's sovereignty, his authority, reflecting the greatness of his power. You see, the name Elohim uh, also identifies God as the creator. In the beginning, Elohim, or the strong one, created. The term created is only used of God in the Bible. It is not used of men. This is because men reconfigure. We recalibrate. 
We reform things. Mankind does not create something from nothing. We lack the power or the ingenuity or the ability to create from nothing. God, on the other hand, does create from nothing. Ex nihilo. You see, we take what is already made and we make it something else. God took what was not there and made it what we see today. The book of Hebrews describes God's creative power like this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, God did not just take something that was already in existence and reform it, reshape it, remake it to then say he created it. He said, look, I'm God, the strong one, the creator. I'm going to speak what's not there into being so that it will become and be there. See, the author of Hebrews lets us know that not only the strong and powerful God created visible things out of invisible, but also the God, that God created the worlds, plural. And he created the worlds without having any raw material with which to work. Now, I don't know how many inventors you know, but it's highly unlikely that you know of any inventor who invented something out of nothing. You see, anybody that designs, builds, or creates anything on the planet Earth used something in order to do it. Only God, Elohim, can make something out of nothing. And every time I'm thinking that I'm nothing, God reminds me that I can make something out of nothing. In fact, God didn't even need to use his hands to create. His mouth was all he needed. In Genesis 1, we marvel that all God had to do was speak the world into existence. And the world came into order at the de declaration of his word. God didn't get up from his throne, start crafting things and putting things together. He spoke, and it was. Perhaps this is one reason why God seems to become upset or annoyed when we doubt his ability. I'll give you an example. When Abraham and Sarah doubted that God could create a child through them, God replied, is anything too difficult for the Lord? I can relate to this text because even in my prayers as my son began to regress in the hospital room and all the progress seemed to wane away and it looked as if he would never be the same, I could hear the voice of God say, is anything too difficult for me? Creating a child in the aged womb of a woman was nothing compared to creating the world out of nothing. 
when we, when we are faced with the necessity of doing something but have nothing for which to do it, just remember Elohim, the strong one, creates from nothing. He turns your nothing into exactly what you need. When God calls you and you say, I have nothing for which to complete the task, God takes your nothing and makes it everything that you need. Similarly, when the Virgin Mary wondered how she, a virgin, could bear a child, the angel addresses her concern squarely. Nothing will be impossible with God. Luke 1 and 37, check the text. It doesn't matter whatever situation you're facing today or whatever challenge you're trying to overcome. Let me encourage you to remember and to declare the name Elohim. The strong one doesn't need raw material with which to work. He doesn't need logic. He doesn't need tangible solutions in order to accomplish his goal. All God needs is himself. And all you need is faith in his name. And that he can do the things he has declared and that he does them well. You see, too often we get hung up trying to figure out the answer to our problems rather than trying to visualize how God is going to straighten out your situation, tweak your trials, or fix your failures. Remember his name. Say it with me. Elohim. Elohim. We should never be afraid to declare his holy name. Elohim. The devil may not want you to say it, but say it anyway. Elohim. Elohim. You see, Elohim can create something out of nothing. He's done it before, and he continues to do it today. You see, after all, he created worlds just by speaking them into existence. God's act of creation makes all of life religious. God invites science to study his creation in order to learn and discover more about him. If you don't believe me, read Job 12, 7 through 9. You see, evolution holds that nobody plus nothing equals everything. It ultimately seeks to get rid of God. But watches have watchmakers. Paintings have painters. Designs have designers. And creation has a creator. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. In 1997, and I'm moving towards my clothes. The Hubble telescope took flight to give us a look through its powerful lens into places we had never known or seen before. And through this mammoth telescope, we discovered a staggering number of other galaxies that were in existence beyond our own. 
Our tiny earth is just in one tiny galaxy, and our Milky Way galaxy is just a little disc-shaped spiral when compared to the expanse of other galaxies. Sure, we have our sun and we have our moon, our little spot along with the planets that surround us, yet the Hubble telescope revealed that we are just one of many. In other words, we aren't quite the center of the universe we once thought we were. In fact, scientists reported that each of the 100 billion to 200 billion galaxies they believe they have discovered has up to 100 billion stars in them. And if 100 billion to 200 billion galaxies each contain up to 100 billion stars, it's too large for you to grasp and consider the galaxy Andromeda. Andromeda alone is roughly 2.5 million light years away from us. Now light travels at about 186, 282 miles per second. So if you had friends living on Andromeda and you sent them a message at the speed of radio wave, which travels at the speed of light, you could receive their reply in about 5 million years. You can't send a text message to Andromeda regardless of how intelligent your smartphone might be. And all God, all Elohim did was say word. He merely spoke the word and the worlds were formed. Can you imagine what would have taken place if God shouted? Before God shows us his gentleness, his fatherhood, or his grace, God introduces himself to us as Elohim, the great and powerful. He's not the Wizard of Oz who tried to brand the name great and powerful but lacked substance behind it. God is Elohim. He substantiates and gives meaning to great and powerful. In truth, great and powerful struggle to define him, but he defines those words. He wants to establish right from the start that he is the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present one. I wish I had the time. I want to share with you Elohim as a restorer, but the time goes, and I've given you a lot to think about, to digest. Next week, we'll talk about Elohim as the restorer and move further into the names of God. But what I want you to understand, what God wants you to understand, is that there is absolutely nothing like him. And because there's nothing like him, because he's not bound by anything that you see or anything that you will experience, there is absolutely nothing he cannot accomplish. He can even take your nothing and make greatness out of it. 
He can take your nothing and make substance out of it. And if he can take your nothing and create something, he can take your brokenness He can take your fears and your, your doubt and your, your pain and your trauma and your tragedy and your terror and he can turn them around and make something phenomenal and beautiful for you. This is how God calls all things together for good. For nothing escapes his power because he is the strong one Elohim not distant but intensely intimate with the very thing that he alone has created and when you begin to understand your crisis through the lens of God's power, brilliance, you'll find great peace. I won't lie to you. The human condition will push you to struggle because it cannot comprehend outside of itself. You know, in this experience that we've been having with my son, prior to this, I used to just say to people when they were going through something extremely traumatic I'd give them a word from the Lord and sometimes I would go back and I would talk to God because every time I give a word from the Lord I, I watch people because I'm, I'm looking for the manifestation and I would see people still struggle and I would go back and I would talk to God and ask God, why? Why do people struggle? You just told them you got them. You, you, you told them you're their healer, their the deliverer, their, their peace, their joy. You, you said it, you've shown it, you, you've made this real, yet they're struggling. Why, why aren't they walking around with the attitude? Just ain't nothing. Be careful when you ask God. I'm learning. As people say now, stay in your lane. See, sometimes stuff ain't just, it just ain't for you to understand. Yeah. 
But I understand better now. Because the human condition is real. It's easy to begin to to declare when you're not intimately connected to the trauma. It's easy for me to stand here and preach. Keep your head up. God's got you. He's going to work it out for you. His word declares so. You should strut out of here as if nothing's wrong. But the knowledge of the power and the love that God has for you does not mean that the trauma has left you. I said to somebody earlier this week, I said, the destination is beautiful, but the journey sucks. Sometimes the journey really sucks. And sometimes during that journey, it becomes difficult to believe you're going to make it to that destination. And this is why it's so important for you to understand who God is and why God introduced himself first and foremost as the one who is greater than everything. I find and found peace in God throughout these last 11, 12 days of watching my son suffer. Seeing what the doctors are doing and even more, seeing their puzzled faces. Hallelujah. Hearing them say, we can try this. We can try that. We're not sure if it's this. We're not sure if it's that. We, we can't fully explain why. And then as humans do, they love to say stuff like the trauma that your son is going, he, he won't remember it. To try to give you some peace, but truth be told, that has not been medically proven. And many have remembered the trauma that doctors declared they would never remember. And seeing all this and hearing God say, is there anything too hard for me? My son was making progress. And then the progress stopped. It turned around. And it went rapidly 
in a direction I could not accept. And originally I cried out to God. The scriptures flooded my mind. Look to the hills from whence cometh thy help. Thy help cometh from the Lord. Then I started pleading with God. And it seemed like things just got worse. Day before yesterday, when I was in the hospital, I laid my hands on my son's head. And I didn't plead. I simply spoke. God's name. God, you are Jehovah Rapha, healer. You are Elohim, creator. You formed this body. In it is your breath of life. Cause it to live. I will not be moved from my faith. I was shaky in my flesh. I could hear the spirit of the Lord say, suck it up! There is nothing too hard for me. And my son, since that prayer, has in less than 24 hours had a complete turnaround. where they could not regulate his sodium. It's now stable. Where they could not regulate his temperature, it is stabilizing. Where he could not communicate, we got the word. He is alert and communicating and has even spoken. Is there anything too hard for God? I don't know what each and every one of you and those that are tuning in may be going through. And I don't deny the trauma that you're facing. But I can tell you, from a dramatic state, I decided to believe in who he is. I decided 
to take the gift of God that was in me to speak to my crisis just like God spoke into the nothing and caused everything to become. And God has worked a miracle in the life of my son. And I know he being no respecter of person will work a miracle in each and every one of you. The journey may not be enjoyable. The journey may look bleak. The journey may become hard at times. The journey may make you fall to your knees and lay prostrate before God. The journey may draw tears from your eyes. The journey may make you turn down a plate. But I promise you, stay in the race. Yes, sir. Stay in the race. Because he will see you to the finish. How do I know? Because his word declares that that work which he begun in you, he will finish it. You are right. Before the finish line, don't rob yourself of the joy of breaking that banner to signify your crossing over. Hallelujah. 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 Elohim, and there is nothing too hard for him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.